Should you shield the canyons from the windstorms, you would never see the true beauty of their carvings. Swiss psychologist and author of the 1969 groundbreaking book, Death and Dying, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I'm Lauren Hubelay. I'm a health educator and gemotherapy expert. And I'm here again with my loyal co-host, Megan Limp. Welcome. Hi, Lauren. It's great to be with you again. Thanks. And Cameron, welcome. So glad to have you. It's a pleasure to be here with you both. So Megan, you have a very special topic for us to discuss today. I'm very excited to hear about your thoughts. Yeah, Lauren, I have been thinking about this for a while. And today I'd like us to explore the experience of loss through the polyvagal lens. And as Lauren started with, my inspiration for today's topic really came many years ago when I came across Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work on loss and grief. Elizabeth studied terminally ill patients and created a theory that she called the Kubler-Ross theory. And that proposed a five stage process of moving from denial to acceptance in terminally ill patients. And that process is coined DABDA, which stands for denial, anger, bargaining, depression, or some people say disappointment, and acceptance. And since that time, it's interesting, other therapists have also used what we now call DABDA in different contexts. In fact, there's an author and therapist named Susan Stiffelman. She has written the book, Parenting Without Power Struggles, and she writes the parenting column for the Huffington Post. And she's adapted this model for parents to highlight how childhood is often a time that's experienced as very powerless and that children have these micro traumas daily when they don't get what they want or they feel powerless for other reasons. Now, it's been my experience that grief and loss are really individual experiences and that they don't often follow a linear or clear path that's the same for all of us, and that they don't fit into one specific model. So my interest in this isn't so much the model itself, but it did awaken in me several important questions that I'd love to talk about. You know, we often think of grief and loss related to these big events in our life and specifically endings. For example, um, the death or illness of a loved one or ourself, or the loss of a career or a relationship. And I would love to talk about this experience of loss through the polyvagal lens, especially since we're all in a time right now where our day-to-day -day lives have changed by the presence of COVID. And many of us are experiencing endings as a relationship to this pandemic. And we find ourselves and our loved ones often living in a state of protection. Cameron, does this resonate for you at all? Absolutely. And we think of, you know, losses, one of the overarching losses we are going through worldwide in our own ways is loss of a certain sense of normalcy. Our lives, I find me one person whose life has not been irrevocably changed by this pandemic and then how we have learned along the ways from those childhood 
micro trauma moments or whatever, you know, how do we each individually personalize that loss? And that's, that's such a, a, a poignant place of curiosity. And one of the first things in our autonomic nervous system is when we feel in any way threatened, we tend not to come toward connection. We tend to be go toward those autonomic adaptive survival responses. So there again, you know, it takes all that much extra work to support ourselves and all of life around us to coming back into connection with where we are on our ladders, where we are in the world. And connection is equally what we're hardwired for in addition to survival. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I, I, I think that what comes to mind for me is that these losses, and some of them are micro losses, but they go on top of all the other losses that we've had in our life. And so depending on where we are in our processing, and, and, and we, we know now that Kubler-Ross's work, that these stages aren't so linear, right? It, it's cyclical and we revisit it. At, just ask anyone in their adult life who has lost a parent, we grieve that parent at different stages in our life. Right. And I think where we are in that loss on top with these losses, the micro losses, I would call them on top, explains so much about our, our reactions. And and when it's too much, this this tendency just to pull in, right, with overwhelm and drop into that lovely conservation state of dorsal vagal and um, pull our self into that turtle shell, as you would say, Cameron. And Cameron, it's our biology that decides and decides isn't even, it's our biology that senses when it's too much. It is not us. We don't articulate, oh, that takes me exactly back to the 5 million other losses of my life. Therefore, I'm gonna take a deep dive. And, and appreciating that our biology is sensing when it's too much. Well, that's an important point, Cameron. I often think that it's choice and it's not, is it? No, it's no. not. And that's how we end up somewhere we didn't expect to be. <laughs> so true, isn't it? Yeah. Cameron, I wonder, since we're acknowledging that it's not a linear process and that it's so individual, I wonder if you can speak to, if we look at DABDA, even though they don't necessarily move in that order, we see that maybe anger and bargaining are more sympathetic type responses to loss and maybe the, the deep depression or disappointment if it's, if it's a very flat kind of low energy type place might be you know, a more dorsal phase of that experience of loss. I wonder if you can talk about the three states and, and in relationship to loss and, and what our experience of moving through those might be in this context. Yeah, and I think loosely one would think that, that you know, we could place each of those um, descriptives, each of those phases in that hierarchy. And I think for the most part, it would be true. And depending on someone's autonomic nervous systems for you to experience, you know, 
how you know quickly or slowly and it's not linear and may drop down into that sympathetic and may actually come back into more ventral vagal but the next moment in time might go into that sympathetic and and then drop down into the dorsal vagal and in that way it's it's back to sort of that analogy of that that symphony orchestra mm. as we move through the beginning of loss to the full orchestration of you know coming to some sense of acceptance of it. So Megan, how, uh, your attraction to this was really interesting to me and in that you you saw some connection there. And, and um, is this something you have observed in yourself or others that you have some experience that you could um, talk through? You know, I think that actually, well, so if we move back to Susan Stiffelman, that's really when I, so taking it out of the context of loss related to death and dying and utilizing this idea of um, witnessing a child or a loved one move through a trigger or move through a micro trauma is really what resonated more for me. Because I think without any major life changes or endings, we know, as you touched on, Laura, that Lauren, that life is full of these micro traumas, these day-to-day -day experiences that we might be interpreting as loss or that we're neurocepting as cues of danger. So even something little like a, a chronic irritation with a person or a situation or something that we notice that we're actively avoiding maybe might be relevant in talking about small traumas that we have to move through. And so as I get back to Susan Stiffelman, the interesting part about this theory that's intriguing to me is her advice. She advises parents simply to be with their child and witness them as they move through these stages from denial to acceptance, noticing that if we engage with them at any of these stages, that they might get stuck there in one of those stages. And I think that this is really powerful because it highlights two things for me. One, it highlights our autonomic patterns of moving into similar protection responses again and again. And it brings an awareness not only to how we process loss, but how we show up for the loved ones in our life when they're triggered and they're in a state of protection. So Megan, let, let's put this on a, a very practical plane for our listeners. Um, you talked about this experiencing this with children. I mean, right now, children are experiencing all kinds of loss of yes. what they in their short lives thought was a normal childhood yeah. and going to school, right? And, and that can be a great loss for many children and it could be the best thing ever for others. But in, in that, can we take something like that and, and talk through that with, from a parent's perspective, how they could be with their child through that? Suddenly schools close down, which is happening in many places in our country, right? And those are all my best friends. And I'm going to be really devastated because I have to be home with mom or dad on the computer all day. 
Yes, and I think that this is relevant not just to children, but I think that this talks about how we show up for each other at any age, because many of us are having changes in what our career looks like or possibly endings in a career right now. And so I think how we show up and if we're anchored in ventral, offer just a witness and a little bit of sending each other that holding being with energy as that person moves through their stages towards acceptance of what is right now. You know, some people move through it very quickly and some people each, you know, part of their process looks very different and is up and down. But nonetheless, uh, I think that um, there's a lot of potential for us to be aware of big and minor losses and how we neurocept those and show up for each other in those right now. And I think a real life example of that in parenting might be, um, you know, um, maybe this is an example that just came up. You know, uh, we got an email that uh, the athletic association at the school is still going to offer basketball. And that's an indoor sport where kids are in close contact. And we as a family decided that that's not something that uh, resonated for us this year. And, but we also acknowledge that it's meaningful to our kids. So being with our kids as they move from, you know, yes, I am gonna play basketball, uh, maybe bargaining with us about why they should be able to play basketball and doing their pitch into when I saw the like, fine, okay. Then I knew that we were getting close because uh, the, the piece of acceptance was starting to move in. And I could see that um, not only was there some co-regulation happening that I was holding space for the process for my son or both my sons to move through that process, but that there, some self-regulation was coming back in for them also. Mm. Great example, Megan. Great example. You, you know, I think this is a, a great time to talk about extracts too, because you mentioned Megan and, and it's so true with any of us, we can get stuck in one of those states. And um, I think what we've done here, bringing in um, Kubler-Ross's work is another lens, right? Another lens to look at our process. And then we have the polyvagal lens we know that we're moving up and down on this autonomic ladder through these experiences too. So you describe the stages your, your son went through with a loss there through Kubler-Ross's um, stages, but it, he also was going through the autonomic ladder, right? And yes, and that is really what I'm interested in talking about is how loss what loss looks like through the polyvagal states. Yeah. yeah. Cameron, do you have some thoughts on that and what you've seen in your practice? Yeah, I, I love it because it is what we're all experiencing so much of. And, and Megan absolutely beautifully touched down on so often the missing element, whether it's in the moment or it, it's in our history, is that presence of someone or something holding enough of the tracking and enough of the ventral vagal energy. Because without that, we're all ships out to sea. <laughs> and I, I was interested when, when you can often affect some of that with, with your gemo works. But I, you know, I think of 
you know, as a parent, you know, I had a conversation with a mother of a much younger child who simply noticed a pattern that her son for everything was going on was skipping dinner at night. And therefore she could I even identify that he was waking up essentially a very little human with a hangry syndrome and, and bolted out of bed screaming and yelling about breakfast and the the you know routine of you know having any organization of getting dressed it all was flying out the window and of course met with that sympathetic energy of this little one blowing up she said I get all I can do is come to my own sympathetic energy talk about loss and lack of possibility in a given moment and so we played with what it would be like to hold enough ventral vagal energy that we in fact can offer that ventral vagal energy for which platforms the possibility of anything else and in, in connection to self or others for you know the journey through what what the loss was or what what the challenge was or any of what's right before us and Megan with with your sons you could see that you know, your process was not initially sitting well on their autonomic nervous systems. It was a huge loss. And we can't even in that moment possibly comprehend how they felt that loss, but you, you, it was, I'm sure palpable, you know, saying, nope, no, nope, basketball is here. And how it was really effective for you to go, okay, they're, they're moving on their ladders, they're moving through their states. And as much as you could offer that ventral vagal presence, which is, often like what you offer Lauren through generals, it's that support, it's that possibility, which ultimately will give the gift uh, of the most ease moving on the ladder. It's not we prevent movement on the ladder, we go through it, but we don't have to get, as you say, stuck. Cameron, I think that this is really important. And I think this is really the heart of the subject. Mm -hmm. When we can anchor then the other person can move through their process regardless of what it looks like in that moment with more ease. But I think that it might be useful as we use these terms to really break it down into more, uh, a more simple explanation. So say someone's listening and we are using terms like anchoring and ventral so that we can hold space for the other person. Mm -hmm. Cameron, can you take us through what that means to somebody that's not clear on that and how that might be experienced and how we offer that to somebody. And it's very easy to offer experience. I could just refer back to my own experience in the last few days when I was around family of my own, very <laughs> dysregulated. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, a storm is blowing over and at me and like, oh, I did not see that coming. And my first response was, you know, I wanted to strangle them or run screaming from the room or whatever. And I'm like, so for me, I could feel it in my body. The intensity was not subtle. And, and, and you know, while all this energy is going on all over the place, my first place was to, for me, take a few deep breaths, be quiet, have confidence, because I practice this a lot. I mean, practices again and again and again, allowing, you know, alignment in my body and allowing with some degree of trust that my autonomic nervous system would bring me some more ventral vagal energy. It's kind of like when, you know, the mask drop on the airplane, we, I needed to get my mask on first because if I was just as sympathetic in response to the sympathetic energy coming at me, it was not going to be pretty. And in that moment, that's the moment that I noticed, name noticed, and, and when I say anchor, it's really taking my system in as much 
of that mental vagal energy is possible. Then I could could weather the storm around me and, and you know not be reactive is the simplest way I could put it. And that didn't say that it the evening went beautifully, but I knew <laughs> you know this was the best that I could offer. I actually had to have faith in the autonomic nervous system because at the end of this conversation, I'm like, I had to sort of decompress and I had still, I'm like, there was still a storm going on around me and like, but the next day the sun came up and all of a sudden there had been this huge like Kirkland shift and the other two systems had re-regulated. And it happened. I didn't do it. I just brought myself into as much ventral vagal presence, energy, calm, whatever you want to. And those other two systems did their work too. They at least got a whiff of it. You know, Megan, what I'm hearing Cameron say, I think is super important for all of our listeners because we so often think our job is to fix the other person's nervous system. And, um, and I think I, I mentioned this last week as well, but, but it's instinctive to do this. I also had a family gathering this weekend, Cameron. Family gatherings, folks, are just a great laboratory for watching everyone's nervous system and practicing that ventral vagal anchoring for yourself because it looks like different things. I, I remember historically, I was always the dish doer because that actually anchored me like nobody's business, hands in the water. Actually the water drowned out some of the noise. <laughs> I was in a different room and then I could walk back in refreshed and able to be with whatever was happening. Yeah. Yep. And I think this is a beautiful time of year for us to touch on this because this is a time of year leading into the holidays when we are around other nervous systems quite a bit. You know, wouldn't it be a beautiful thing to show up um, with however you're gonna show up with your family, whether it's on Zoom or, you know, in an outside gathering or, you know, you've, you've isolated together and you're gonna sit around the dining room table but to show up recognizing that we're really all autonomic nervous systems coming together and, and that each of us have our own experience, our own histories of loss and wherever we might be stuck in our processing that loss and acknowledge that um, and acknowledge, thank you very much, Cameron, for reminding me of this every time I need it is to put our oxygen mask on first and to check in with ourselves. And there's that moment of pause and it's really a gift we give to ourselves first and then all the other autonomic nervous systems of essentially that little time out, whether it's doing the dishes or taking a deep breath. Uh, one of my favorites is I love excusing myself to the bathroom because that doesn't usually offend anybody. And before I say something or do something that I might regret from a, a, a reactive <laughs> mobilized place. And then I take myself and, and put my oxygen mask off in the quiet of just a minute or two in the bathroom and then come back, as you said, four to five. It, and 
holidays guarantee us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity because where could we find a richer source of you know sort of historic and even transgenerational triggerings and challengings and disappointments and all losses maybe maybe all those um old movies where women excuse themselves to powder their nose they were really powdering their (laughs) autonomic nervous system i'm sure (laughs) and that's really had a cigar yeah (laughs) and that's not conversation it's sitting quietly regulation looks like something different for everybody (laughs) (laughs) but you know i actually think this this point is really beautiful to touch on because as we're talking about honoring you know, our process and trusting and taking little breaks, I think that it's important to remind ourselves and everybody listening again, that this is a practice, but it's a practice of something that's already happening below the level of our cognitive awareness. Mm -hmm. You know, it is not our responsibility to um, decide what gear we want to be in and go into that. (laughs) This, and I, I think that luckily, right, you know, luckily this is built innately in us. And I think that that helps us honor in ourselves that we are far more resilient and good at taking care of ourselves than we might have ever imagined. And that when we're talking about polyvagal theory, we are talking about um, the ability to connect and the ability to protect ourselves and the ability to pick up cues in our environment, bringing that to the level of awareness, not creating it, it's already happening. We're just bringing it into our awareness. And so isn't that amazing that mm-hmm. we're hardwired to do this? And while we might not have had a, a level of trust or experience in doing that, we all inherently have the wiring for that resiliency. And I can just feel you know, your enthusiasm. It's like, oh, we all have the ruby slippers on and we just may not have known it yet. Yeah. I love the picture of the gearbox, Megan, because this is so true, because before my family showed up on Sunday, I thought, right, I am going to keep myself in ventral vagal (laughs) entire time. I am going to be the essence of ventral vagal. And and isn't it interesting? Those gears just shift all over. As much as we may love everyone there, they do shift. But but if we get stuck, this is where some gymos could come in. And Megan, is this a good time to do that? Let's do it. Yeah. So we had um, um, talked about some preliminary extracts, and I maybe I have having your help, Megan, and because I think these states were were things, and the sense of loss was where we came up with this preliminary list, um, getting stuck in one of those states um, might be a good way to see which, which extract, because we've been looking at extracts through the polyvagal lens, but through the, that lens of loss, whether we're in that anger or denial and, 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 or, or anger and bargaining, I think were the two you tend to put together, right, Megan? Um, is there, I think we all, I think that it's different for all of us. Yeah, 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 that's probably true. So maybe if we look at them in, in terms of the um, adjacent, the polyvagal state, depending on what our, our autonomic state is, but one of them, which you all will not be surprised to hear is Hawthorne. <laughs> 
Okay, because it happens to be a favorite extract of the, for all three of us, but in helping us move through loss at any level, but we're stuck and we're maybe stuck because we've closed our heart to the process um, because experience has taught us that's what we need to do to protect ourselves. And I recommend Hawthorne at every Thanksgiving dinner table, <laughs> maybe dosed in the water. Would you yeah. agree, Megan? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we recorded something with a question from somebody in Romania mm -hmm. talking about why can't I pull myself out of dorsal? So desiring a change in state. And I think that Hawthorne um, speaks beautifully to that because remember that the way that the body, that our nervous system communicates to our body that it's time to move into protective mode and take action, or that we need to protect our life and move to dorsal, or that it's okay that there isn't a threat and that we can regain homeostasis. That is communicated by the heart mm -hmm. to all the cells in the body. And so it makes perfect sense that if in our minds we're thinking, okay, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. Everything is safe, but in our heart and in our body, we are not actually neurocepting that and experiencing that. Then we can't change that message. And so we need to work with the heart so that we can embody it, feel that safety, and then send the cue. Mm -hmm. The, the next extract that I think um, should be considered in this group is Lithi, and it's not one we've talked about often, but when I think of loss, it's the first extract I think of. And remember I had said earlier in this recording that it, it's often the loss on top of loss, on top of loss, and what we may really be feeling is that rawness of that you know, early um, or past loss that's never been processed fully. We haven't given it the time that it needed or we just didn't have the resources more likely then. Livy is great at helping us um, bring those up and out. And um, I just had a very interesting um, talk about Lithi in one of my classes this week with um, a student that was testing it out on herself. Again, we're talking about microdoses, just one drop of this extract on your tongue. And she talked about the amazing dreams she was having reconciling losses throughout her lifetime. And they were all very peaceful but they just happened all on their own. Once again, we're not forcing anything. We're not putting the gear shift in, in a particular position. It's just happening on its own. And Lithy so beautifully allows for that. And it's, it's, um, it does that through work with the lungs. And we may be able to feel that grief and loss actually in our lung area as a restriction or tightness that may be an indication for that extract. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And I think when we talk about the lung energy in our body through the Asian medicine lens, lung has to do not only with 
the production of our chi in association with our digestion, but also how that chi is moved through the body. And so when we feel stuck that we might be holding a trauma or a memory or holding on to something that we haven't processed yet, when we move that lung chi, then we're going to come back into communication with our own process and with our own memories. And so that will come up. And you know, we've experienced with Lithi in the past, suddenly having words for something that we didn't know how to clarify before. Yeah, beautiful. So ladies, I think those are two great extracts for people to consider over this time period. And with that um, concept of loss, excellent conversation today. Megan, thanks so much for raising our consciousness on this idea of loss. And Cameron, once again, thanks for all your rich uh, um, conversation that you bring in. And I would just cue our listeners in that if you want to hear more about each of our works, we each have a website. Mine is Lauren Hubele, or um, dot com. That's right. I know what my name is. And Megan, yours? Mine is AccuLemp.com. And Cameron? Cameron Scott, MA.com. And I encourage you to um, send in questions as you're listening. Um, we'd love to answer them and it will certainly enrich our conversations and widen our understanding of this polyvagal theory. Thank you.